Hi, I'm Will Wheaton from the TV Crimes Podcast, Radio Free Burrito, and some TV shows, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. So we went from this comic book convention to backstage at the Met as dressed dressed as Spider-Man and Captain America and made this running entrance from the back of the house onto the stage with blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> so it wasn't and all I, it wasn't all Seven Elevens and comic book shops in Des Moines. You got to go to the White House. No, you I, got gave, to- I gave you the two high the two high points. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. We are at the GBB Podcast on Twitter, at the GBB Podcast on Facebook. And how are you doing, Jamie? I am doing great. How are you doing, Justin? I'm doing good. And most of it has to do with the fact that we just got off the phone with a childhood legend for me. No, he, he wasn't. He wasn't a legend in his childhood. No, a, he was a, a legend childhood legend childhood. for me. Yes, my childhood. <laughs> okay, just had to clarify. Yes, okay. <laughs> and I grew up watching. I'm just gonna. We're just gonna dive right into it. No small chat. Um, <laughs> I grew up watching Star Trek: The Next Generation with my with my dad and my uncle and Will Riker always stood out the character as my favorite. So when we had the chance to interview Jonathan Frakes, we had to take it. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm the same way. I I I'm a little bit older than you, but I so I still watched the next gen when it was on the air every whatever night it was on every week with my mom. My mom is a huge trekker um from the, you know, the original series and continued through all the other shows. Um but I watched it with her and uh was always a huge fan of of the character of Will Riker. I mean, I don't think that there were any characters on that show that I really didn't like. Right. Um, but I think, you know, he was, he was the next gen's Kirk, you know, he was the one, you know, out there kicking butt and taking names. He was the, the adventurer, the, the womanizer and, you know, 10 year old me didn't, you know, however old I was, I was in middle school, so I was more than 10, but Mm -hmm. you know, however old middle school me, you know, I don't think I fancied myself a womanizer, (laughs) (laughs) but it was like, you know, you look at him, you're like, yeah, that's, that's the kind of life I want to live, you know, out there adventuring and finding new things and you know, and, and just doing it. And yeah. So again, just like you, when, when we had the opportunity to, to have him on the show and talk to him, you know, we jump, right. You don't don't say, and this is probably, I'm going to tell you before we get into it, the most uninterview we've ever done because it was mostly just a conversation. We didn't really have a structure to it. And Jonathan was just so much fun. And we just kind of, you know, chatted to him. He was actually in in traffic on the freeway. Yeah. yeah. So the the sound quality here is, you know, he's on his phone, but he's also on his speakerphone because he's, he was sitting in traffic um, in L.A. LA traffic. So we talked to him for about an hour and he was in traffic the entire hour. Um, so uh, but despite that, you know, we had an, we had just an amazing conversation. But he did reveal to us the origin of the Riker sit. Oh, so yes, the Riker sit. Stay tuned. You're going to want to hear that. <laughs> some 
clickbait, but it actually fulfills. So <laughs> yeah, he, does. he tells us the origin story. The right exactly. Guy's All right, guys. I hope you enjoy. <laughs> All right, so I read this on Wikipedia, which means it has to be true. Um, yeah. But it says that, uh, is it true that Marvel hired you way back in the 70s to show up as Captain America to comic conventions? Absolutely true. Not comic book conventions. Mostly opening up like 7-Elevens and riding <laughs> the, the supermarkets and sitting on, standing on the front of a bad rental car with a uh, garbage can lid in my hand and a plastic ears grippered to my cowl. And those were officially Marvel-sanctioned events, huh? <laughs> These, my friend Charlie Davis, who was Spider-Man, who's a uh, doo-wop singer, uh-huh. and I were hired by a woman who worked in Marvel marketing, who convinced Stan Lee that it would be okay to send people out in costume. It was the first time Stan ever approved of anybody. And the costumes were kept under lock and key at... Marvel on 575 Madison Avenue. We had to go up on the Friday and sign them out. The little red, the big red boots and the, and the garbage can lid and all the shit. These horrible spandex costumes. And then get on a plane and go to some shithole like, uh, you know, Des Moines or Omaha and do a schedule of, you know, six 7-Elevens and two comic book stores. And we made, we made 50 bucks a day. So what were the cost? I mean, were the costumes good or are they like the ones you see at Times Square today? Uh, somewhere between the two. Okay. <laughs> I do remember, I do remember that I, that the boots were fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they were high red leather boots. That, that sounds amazing. Do you have any, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you for them, but do you have any pictures of yourself still from those days in those, in those costumes? I do. I have a picture that somebody just sent me from the uh, Rosalind and Jimmy and Amy Carter environmental lawn party, <laughs> which, would have, uh, which would have been in the 70s, I guess. Yeah. That's a picture of uh, somebody dressed up as the Hulk, and I'm there as Captain America. You can see clearly it's me posing and smiling behind Rosalind and Amy Carter. High point of my... Uh, Captain America's career was well, that- the White House. And one other appearance of note, we were doing one of those comic book conventions that you referenced in in, uh, in Manhattan. And someone from uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Remember the band Blood, Sweat, yeah, and Tears? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Someone from that band was at the convention and said, is there any way you guys could come to the Metropolitan Opera House tonight. Blood, Sweat, and Tears is playing, and uh, Bobby Columby, who was the drummer of the band, is an insane Marvel fan, and huh. you could surprise him. We said, you know, we said, sure, it's a free food. So we said, sure. So we went from this comic book convention to backstage at the Met as dressed, dressed as Spider-Man and Captain America and made this running entrance from the back of the house onto the stage with blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> so it wasn't, all, think, it wasn't all 7-Elevens and comic book shops in Des Moines. You got to go to the White House. No, you I, got gave, to- I gave you the two high, the two high points. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could have been out of only four appearances for all I know. So, those, you know, you, that, yeah. you could have had a 500 batting average there. 
exactly. There was a moment when you're doing something in uh, like Jersey City, and I got a phone call. Listen, Batman can't make it. Can you come out and do the Batman? <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, that's amazing. Everybody has to start somewhere, though, right? And I still see Stan Lee at the conventions and give it to him about it. Nice. I said, you gave me a great start, Stan. Thanks so much. <laughs> it worked out okay for you, kid, didn't it? It worked out okay for you. <laughs> so you've been doing conventions now for more than 25 years. Do you, do you ever get tired of them telling the same stories, answering same questions from schmucks like us? <laughs> I've, I've, I've found in the last few years that if I do um, if I do two in a row, I can almost survive it. But if you say yes to three in a row in a <laughs> month or so, like in the summer when they're popular, yeah, you're just being you're just being a whore. Yeah. You're just being greedy. But do, and if I'm, the fun goes out of it, there's no future. In, I, I mean, I see as you have um, actors from shows who clearly don't want to be there. Yeah. Right. And um, I'm lucky that I, I really like the fans. I like the people and aspect of it. I love the schmooze. And at the big conventions, you're always with somebody that you know and like and can have a nice dinner with. And it's, um, it's a, a great chance to catch up. And it's, you know, it's an annuity. It's, it's, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Sure. I'm, I'm sure like when you do the, the Q and A's and you've got your, you know, your, your panel, I'm sure you get a lot of fans that, you know, ask about the minutia and, you know, ask you about episodes and character traits that you just don't remember. But have you ever been like pleasantly surprised by a, like a fan story or reaction or something? More and more, I find that the, the fans who reveal their soul to you about how Star Trek had, um, changed their lives either in terms of their career choice or if they came from a troubled home that the Star Trek was the only time that they sat with their abusive father or something like that. Right. Or as, um, uh, you know, a, a handicapped veteran who has survived all of his operations because he loves the show so much and rewatches them. And I mean, the honest, uh, affection for sort of all things Trek, but when they talk specifically about your show, you just feel so sort of blessed and humbled and thankful that you're, you know, that's yeah. the pilot that you end up on. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's amazing. It is. It's 28 years ago, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> you're still living it every day that you go to one of those conventions though. I mean, that's gotta be a bit surreal, right? It is. It's enormously surreal. And it's, it's, it's a blessing though. It's, yeah. There's no, there's no real downside mm -hmm. to the fact that, that the, that Gene's vision has, has lived this long. Yeah. What's, um, as long as we're talking about conventions, what's the most common question that you're asked? Like there's gotta be one that you're asked every time you go, you go anywhere. What's Patrick Stewart really like? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> what's it like working with Patrick Stewart? <laughs> So we I usually, when I work with Brent, he and I do a routine where I ask the questions that he answers them as Patrick Stewart. And oh, that's, nice. That's been a very entertaining sort of vaudevillian <laughs> approach that we take to the to the Q and A. Have you ever seen us do any of these? You know, obviously not. 
no, I, I you know I have not seen you guys recently. Um, here's my my quick story: is that I grew up on Next Gen with my mom, who was a Trekkie from the original series. Um, and when I was like in middle school, um, you know, like sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, around there, I would go to the Star Trek conventions with her. And at that time, um, Next Gen was still on the air, so we would see it was like a mix of you know the original cast crew that were coming out and a lot of you guys. Um, and at that point, it was we were talking about you were talking about a show that was still on the air. So there were spoilers and what are you going to do next season and where are you going to take the show? Um, and it's, I mean, I have incredibly fond memories of going to those as a kid. And that was before, you know, the whole comic book show and convention really exploded into what it has become now with these huge, huge events. Um, but I have not seen you guys recently and I need to correct that. You should get back on the horse. It's going to be a wild year for conventions because of the 50th anniversary. I heard. I know. I've seen a whole bunch of great appearances, great shows. I'm I'm going to try to make it to at least one or two this year or next year. So, Where are you guys in Maryland? Your phone call is from Maryland. Yeah, I'm just out, I'm just outside of DC. So you can go to Shore Leave. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Just up the road. Are you going to be there? I don't know. Uh. <laughs> I think Shatner's going to be there this year. Oh, really? I think so. Unless I'm making that he's up. The, he's the biggest whore of all of us. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of allowed to be, though, isn't he? He's amazing. <laughs> he is He is a force of nature. Um, Go ahead, Justin. I'm sorry. No, no, you go ahead, man. Well, I was going to say, I mean, even though it's a, it's a cliche, I, I've heard that the cast of Next Gen really did become a family, um, and it continues to this day. But I'm wondering... How much of that relationship really developed during the, you know, the hectic and crazy schedules that you had during the years that was on the sh- that the show was on the air and you were filming, and how much of that has really developed in the years since? As you're, you know, you're crisscrossing these similar paths and across conventions and doing dinners and reminiscing. Well, it's obviously it started when we all were cast together, right? And Lavar always said that they caught lightning in a bottle. It was. All of us were so primed to have this next step of our careers, and none of us were aware of what it was going to become, obviously. Sure. And the people who were, the only people who anybody knew, there were two stars. There was um, LeVar, who had done, uh, obviously had done Roots and Reading Rainbow, and and Will Wheaton, who had been on Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. All the rest of us were, were unknowns and, and quite thankful for the work. Brent and I had done a couple of play readings together, so we knew each other, you know, yeah. peripherally. But it was um, it was magical to have. And our God, our spouses are were just so bored with us because <laughs> we worked we worked we worked work together all week for eighty hours a week, and then we'd plan dinner together on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good sign, though, right? It's not like you're working with people yet. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was brilliant, yeah. and still is. That's why the conventions, as I mentioned, that is the high point of the conventions is the uh, is the reunion. And now I'm lucky enough that I I can cast these guys in shows. I just worked with Delancey. I did a show that he was on last week. Right. I've had Brent on the show. I just Will Wheaton is on this show that I'm editing right now. Really? Which so show? I, yeah, it's called Powers. It's a oh uh, the the PlayStation show. Yeah. Have you seen this? I have. It's a great show. Yeah, season two is so much better than season one. I just finished an episode. It's, it's uh, and Will's the uh, 
Will's the ringleader. He's the, the villain. Yeah, I awesome. introduced him. Excellent. How do you know about that? Of course you know about that show. You guys are the geeks. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> We're supposed to know everything, right? Isn't that our job? <laughs> are, are you called Geek Dad? Geek Dad is the website, yeah. And is this a... Uh, a, a podcast or a blog or what? What, what is format are you guys working? Through? This this right now, what we're doing is for a, it's a podcast. Um, yeah. Geek Dad has several different shows as you know as a network, quote unquote network. And uh, yeah, we put out a weekly show, and it's basically and it's an interview show, and we we talk to uh, different people such as yourself, and we like to just talk about the creative process and where they come from and in sort of what drives them. That's fantastic. So, will you edit this down to just the good bits? Uh, no, we're going to leave it all in. <laughs> we'll probably edit out this little bit right here. But yeah, we, 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 I mean, unless if you flub or if I flub or Justin flubs, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll edit that out. But we'll, we'll mostly keep everything else in. We make everyone look good. Yeah, we make it look <laughs> as You know, it's not really hard when you yeah. have guests like you, though. <laughs> oh. Um, <laughs> You're buttering them up, man. Oh, yeah, we're trying. So It's revolting. <laughs> 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 I don't want. I don't want to uh, make Will look bad. I mean, he gave us a good. He he spoke well about us, so I don't want to make him. I don't want you to go back to him and you know smack him upside the head and say, "What'd you tell me to do that show for?" What were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> so taking it back just for a minute, taking it back to the beginning, um, and you've probably answered this a bunch of times, but when you first started the show or when you were first cast. Did you get any advice from the original cast members, like about you know, or did you get specific advice from Nemo about how to stand in a captain's shadow? <laughs> Absolutely not. Really, they were um, they were. What is the most diplomatic way to put this? <laughs> we never met. Okay. As a matter of fact, when we did the captain's summit, did you ever see that that Whoopi hosted? Yes. And that was Leonard and, and Bill and Patrick and myself, and Whoopi was the moderator. During that taping in New York, Bill was forced to admit that he'd never seen Next Generation. What year was that? This was... Patrick was doing uh, the Scottish play. It would have been six years ago, maybe? Oh, so <laughs> up until six years ago, Shatner had never seen a single episode. That's the that's what Leonard implied by saying he he outed Bill into admitting that he didn't have a clue who, who, about the show. He knew us personally from conventions, but he'd never seen. That's that's the impression that Patrick and I got. <laughs> that's astounding. <laughs> well, it, it may be urban legend, but it's uh, it makes for a good story. <laughs> it, it certainly does, and especially because I I just watched Chaos on the Bridge. The uh, Shatner's documentary about Next Gen, and you were you were what there. Was your, what was your take on that? Um, a, a lot of it I had I already knew. Um, it, it was interesting to see, um, to sort of hear from everybody who was there to, uh, personally about you know the drama and the backstage fighting that was going on. Um, it, what was interesting to me is that. I also re I really enjoyed Shatner's The Captains, where he sat down with all the different captains. But in that, yeah, I like that too. Yeah, that was really good. But in that, it seemed to be Shatner always brought it back to him. He always made it about himself, whether regardless of who he was talking to. But in the uh, Chaos on the Bridge, 
he didn't seem to do that. He was just sort of there as interviewer and he didn't really make it about himself, which was nice because I thought that he was going to somehow. Um, <laughs> but I thought it, it's revealing because I think a lot of people don't really know about all that was going on during those first few seasons. I mean, as an actor, well, I, didn't, I didn't know. I yeah. didn't know what was going on. That, that, I mean, that's my question. As an actor, how much of that were you aware of? Or did you just show up and read your lines? I'm that kind of guy. I was a, I've always been, I just show up and read your lines unless it's really unspeakable. Yeah. But I had, um, I was very much unaware of that drama. If in fact it's true. Yeah. It's interesting to me that, that Shatner has chosen to appoint himself the arbiter of the next generation <laughs> history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it was definitely I had no idea about it I saw it pop up on Netflix like last week and I didn't even know it was coming um, so I, I you know I watched it on a whim and it was really good but now that you're telling me that you know up until only a few years ago he really didn't know anything about Next Gen it's it's really surprising well, uh, that could have that could have been Leonard putting us on yeah and it, sadly it we won't surprise me though we'll, we'll never know the truth <laughs> I guess we have to have Bill on the show, and we'll ask him to write a point blank. Yeah. <laughs> He'll do it. <laughs> Only if you put in a good word for us now. It's kind of like a trickle-down. I effect. will. <laughs> All right. I can do that. <laughs> um, let's talk. They recently announced uh, a new show coming to, uh, I guess, in a couple of years from now. All we know is that it's a new show. We don't know anything about it. Um, it's Kurtzman's show. It's what? What's that? Kurtzman's. Yeah, it's Kurtzman's show. That's all we know. We don't know anything. Um, I'm kind of hoping for myself that it does not take place in the rebooted universe, um, but I'm kind of doubting that. But if it were up to you, what would it be about? <laughs> but not not to put you on the spot. <laughs> if it were up to me, it would be next gen. Nice. Uh, wait, wait. A reboot or or the same <laughs> character, same actors? They have actors. Nice. We're all alive. We're all alive and kicking. <laughs> that would be perfect. It would be really good. But you, you've been pitching an idea, haven't you, about a Riker-centric uh, show? Half kiddingly, I had, uh, I thought it was time for the uh, sort of follow the episodes of, of the Titan. The Rikers in space. Yeah. Troy and Riker get married, have kids. Have their own ship, and they they have um, their wacky uncle Data and their little dog Worf travels <laughs> with them. It's fil- filmed in a Kardashian style. Yeah, like like looks like a reality it. show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be a little you know a little prime directive on the periphery. <laughs> I kind of like it. It could it could air back to back with uh, the uh, the Worf show that Michael Dorn has been trying to get off the ground. Captain Worf is very, but that's a serious Star Trek show. I'm talking about a, a half hour. <laughs> like, a, like, a, like a sitcom? Not, I would go dramedy. I'd call it a dramedy. Okay. <laughs> nice. Not, not filmed in front of a live studio audience, though? No, single camera dramedy. Nice. I like it. I could be on board with that. <laughs> yeah. So, so what I, do you know about the Kurtzman show? I, I just told you everything that I know. All I know is that it's coming to CBS. They're on their on-demand streaming service, and he's one of the producers. That's that's all I know. Yeah. Do you know anything get else? More 
No, I, I exactly what I've read. And I, a friend of mine from CBS said that they had been keeping that under wraps for a long time because I had a project that a writer had brought to me and I was going to take it to CBS and my agent called on my behalf and they said, don't bother to come in. We've already turned down television series from both William Shatner and Brian Singer. Uh. So we're, we're certainly not going to take yours. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> now, I got broad shoulders. <laughs> I can take that shit. You've been in the business long enough. Oh, at least they were frank. Yeah, that's true. It's, that's refreshing, right? They could have brought you in and put you through the uh, put you through the ringer for no reason. Yeah, I was under the impression that, and the philosophy was, because of the success that CBS and Paramount and Viacom had by shutting down for whatever it was five years, and then JJ's reboot, which I I think he's a wonderful storyteller, a big fan of his I know some aren't but I I am crazy for JJ we'll talk about him in a minute that um, the intention successfully was that by releasing a new Star Trek movie with the new cast every few years and effectively eliminating any other peripheral Star Trek material like a television show it focused the uh core audience in a way that seemed to be working very successfully because always the success of the Star Trek franchise and the movie franchise was the first weekend the Trekkers went to the to the movies and if the movie was special they told their non-Trekker friends and the yeah. second weekend was like First Contact and yeah. Wrath of Khan yeah so that seemed that seemed to be the what's that called the um, the business plan that was working right. and now the Kurtzman, the introduction of the Kurtzman show flies into the face of that philosophy I think well I think they may possibly and I, I this is just me talking but they probably are looking at the success of the Marvel model you know where they have one to two movies a year focusing on different characters and then they also have shows you know they've got the shows on ABC they've got the shows on Netflix and it's all this one universe but nothing really detracts from the others you know they if so what do you think of Agents of Shield do you watch Agents of Shield I do yes. I love it I think it's a fantastic show and the um, the Netflix um, Daredevil is that a Marvel show it yeah. is Daredevil and Jessica Jones they're both the Marvel shows on Netflix they I mean and again yeah. They're completely they're targeting completely different audiences. Mm -hmm. You know, Agents of Shield being on ABC and being sort of a, you know, the the team superhero approach, even though they're not really superheroes, it, it's m a little bit more family friendly. It targets a, it can target a younger yeah. demographic, whereas Daredevil and Jessica Jones are obviously much more mature. Um, yeah, but they can all still be enjoyed either independently or as part of this greater universe. And I don't see why Star Trek can't work the same way. I'm very observant. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Even even if, and I know when when you know when the first JJ movie came out, they were worried that audiences were going to be confused if you had a another show on the air, um, especially if it were one that was not set in this revamped, rebooted timeline. Um, I think that's kind of you know condescending to the audience. I think audiences are a little bit smarter than that. They can obviously figure out the differences. <laughs> if they're going to have a show set in the original timeline, they're going to have these movies set in an alternate timeline. I don't think anybody's going to really be all that confused. So I never I never bought into that excuse. 
let's talk about your directing uh, for a minute because that's what you're focusing on now. Um, but I know, obviously, you started directing while you were still on Star Trek, and you know you still do some voiceover work, but you don't really do a whole lot of on-screen acting work now. But I'm wondering, since they're both, I do have a, I do have a very interesting uh, independent film coming out in January. Ooh, I want to hear all about that. So ho- hold on to that thought, and let me get this question out, and then we can talk about that. But since acting and directing are both very much part of of who you are professionally, I'm wondering, does one inform the other, or is it more of a one-way direction in either direction? Oh, I think having been an actor for so many years and speaking actor, if you will, Uh has absolutely informed my directing. Really? And it's probably my strongest tool as a director. Just because you can relate, you know what it's like to be on the other side of the camera, or does it give you? I know how how painful and horrible and and uh, insecure you can feel as an actor, and yeah. I know how vulnerable you are, and know how you know. There's a lot. It's a. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. And I know we're all spoiled as actors when we work, but it's a. Uh, it's a tough sport. So is that? <laughs> Is directing what you prefer to do now, or is it just that's those are the op, you know the opportunities that have come your way, or is it is it by design? No, no. It's absolutely both. I, I think I'm probably a better actor than I ever was as a direct, uh, better director than I ever was as an actor. Yeah, and and I prefer it. I like the involvement in the entire process. Perfect. And nobody's knocking down my door to give me any acting jobs anyway. So that's that's unfortunate. I'm, I'm very thankful. <laughs> You're thankful that they're not knocking down your door? No, I'm thankful that I learned another craft. Oh, okay. right. Yeah. Yeah, not I mean not everybody has an alternative, you know? So I mean that's why, you know, this the term struggling actor is is a thing is because it is cutthroat. From what I, I mean, I'm not an actor, so I just hear the stories, but from what I understand, it's it can be brutal. Well, also there's a a double-edged sword to having been on an iconic television series, yeah. you know? You are the Star Trek, the guy from Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, even though I look so much older and my beard's white and I'm, you know, 30 years older, you're still... You're still that You're still Riker in a lot of people's eyes. Which, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it's... You don't want to be typecast and, you you know, as an actor, as a professional, you know that you're more than that. But, you know, likewise, it's not many actors have an opportunity to continue with a character 30 years after they stop playing him. Exactly. And... Leonard Nimoy used to say, it's better to be typecast than not be cast at all. <laughs> He's a wise, wise man. <laughs> so, so you mentioned you had a, you had a film coming out. Oh, I did a, an indie called Devil's Gate. Um, Richard Regan and Sean Ashmore. And it's, uh, it's a bit of a horror genre. We shot in Winnipeg. I'm about to go do the, uh, the ADR on it this week, so I'm really looking forward to seeing how that turned out. I, a, I play a, a North Dakota sheriff with a okay. big white beard, so I'm looking forward to see what that turned out like. When when does that come out? I think January. I'm not sure who's distributing it, but I'll uh, details to follow. You'll see it. Yeah, somewhere. Def- definitely. Let us know. And please, please tell me you had to play the character with a North Dakota accent. Oh, I didn't. I didn't go. Uh, you watch Fargo? Yeah, yeah. 
I didn't go full uh, Ted Danson, but it, it's that vibe. <laughs> um, that show's amazing, by the way. Yeah, Fargo, oh, the, yeah. the television show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's talk about television because. You know, we're talking about a lot of these shows that come up, and you've worked on a lot of them as a director. Um, and, you know, the the term "new golden age" of television has been tossed around a lot. You know, within the last few years, people are saying that you know we're in the middle of it. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, as a director working in TV and who has worked on a lot of those shows, what what are your favorites that are out there right now? And are there any other shows that you haven't worked on that you really do want to work on? Uh, the one I just mentioned, Fargo, I think is is on a level with um, Breaking Bad yeah. and, and The Wire. I, I, blown away. I loved uh, Luther, which I see there are a couple more episodes coming out. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The series called The Fall, I really like. Broadchurch, I love. Um, I watch, a, I'm starting to get into Justified, Sons of Anarchy. Do you, do you tend to watch shows, um, sort of after they're done, you know, and then you can just sort of catch up on them? Or do you, do you, are there any shows that are like on, that you have to watch like the day it airs? Yeah, I have to watch Homeland, Ray Donovan, and Fargo when they air. In real time. Yeah, interesting. Because I'm, well, because I'm caught up on all those, and I, we, my wife and I look forward to those stories because we're, you know, you know what happens. You get hooked. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You, can't, you can't fall behind once you're caught up. I, I find for me, I mean, I, I, I kind of do the binge model. So I've, I fall behind, seasons behind on a show. And then I'll just sort of sit down and just catch up on my own time. I, I don't know. I find that a little bit more my style. <laughs> and then, yeah, we do too. We, we just did all of uh, 24, which we've never seen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that show is, it's like tailor made to binge. Like you can't stop. No, you have to. Literally impossible to stop watching that show. <laughs> it's like, it's like crack. It's TV crack. It's it really is. <laughs> that was, yeah, the second it ends, I remember when we first got into it way back, and we, we rented the first season. That was when Blockbuster was still open. We rented it, and we had to go back and get every single disc. And yeah. We watched it straight through. <laughs> and when you watch a show like 24, you can't even imagine how painful it must be to watch with commercials. Oh, <laughs> exactly. that's what I would say because I never watched it on TV. I never watched it with commercials. And that's what my wife and I would say. We, we would end up, you know, four episodes later and we'd be like, could you imagine if we had to wait a whole week between these episodes? It would be, it would have been right. awful. <laughs> the same my thing. My wife, with, when we finished dinner, my wife would say, let's see what Jack's doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Bauer is a member of your family now. <laughs> exactly. Let's see what Jack's doing. <laughs> well, you, that's, it's, it's weird because you say that. But you have to know that there are people out there who say the same thing about you. I mean, does that does that ever just kind of like creep you out? Not much. I I think it's, I keep hearing from people on Twitter who uh, have you know rewatched yeah. all seven seasons on Netflix yeah. or wherever to reopen. And I haven't seen I, I haven't seen all of Star Trek. When I when I'm bonking through the dial and I see that it's on BBC America, I'll I'll punch in. And more often than not, it's an episode that I've never seen with characters that I barely remember yeah. saying words. In yeah. And that's, that's kind of fun for me. Yeah, it's like watching it all over. It's like it, watching it fresh. It's like something you weren't even involved in, right? 
Yeah, I know that I'm in the show because I, I see the guy walking crooked down the hallway <laughs> with, a, with a lot of uh, hairspray in his hair. But <laughs> uh, see the Picard maneuver as he sits down. So you mentioned the Picard maneuver. We we we've got you here. We've got to ask about the Riker sit. And, and we actually had a lot of questions about this from yeah, people. A lot of a lot of listeners want to know about the Riker sit. Um, Have you seen the number of hits on YouTube? It's unbelievable. And you know, watching the show, and I'm one of those people. I'm I'm kind of in the middle of a rewatch right now. I'm in I'm in the sixth season. Um, Are you a full on trekker? Full on, you must be. Um, you know. I'm kind of a I'm kind of a convert, you know. When I was mm-hmm. a kid, my mom was the full on trekker. I was much more of a Star the original Wars show. Fan. What's that? Of the original show. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, but even when Next yeah. Gen came on, like she's 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 a full on trekker of all of them at this point. Deep Space Nine is her favorite show. Um, but I, like I said, I grew up watching Next Gen yeah. first run with her. Um, I mean, I enjoyed it, but I was I was more of a Star Wars fan when I was a kid, and that was the time when you couldn't be a fan of both. It was just unheard of. <laughs> so I'm not, not, not only can you be a, not, not only can you be a fan of both, but you can direct both. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> more power to him, I tell you. <laughs> how are you feeling? How are you feeling about December 18th? Cautiously optimistic. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to stay away from all of the spoilers and. I watched the trailers, but I've not been watching the TV spots and everything. Um, I, I feel like this was a movie that kind of he was made. He made himself um, a, a director to do. I, so I feel like everything that we've seen so far looks phenomenal. And I'm really hoping that it's great. But I'm not getting my hopes up just yet. Because you get we your hopes up too high. That last thing we sat through with Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we yeah we don't need another Phantom Menace. <laughs> we do not need any one of those. And I still haven't sit. I I my my daughter is six now, and she is a huge Star Wars fan. But I still can't bring myself to sit through the prequels with her. Um, she wants to watch them, um, and I just I just can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the Riker sit. We're not letting you get off the hook that easily. Um, yeah. Oh, I'll tell you where that. Uh, that started in. Um, are you looking for the uh, origin? Is this an origin story? Yes. Give me the origin story. <laughs> in in uh, ten forward, after we were lucky enough to uh, book Whoopi into being on the show, and she became available, they built her a set where Guinan would work. It was called Ten Forward. It was our bar, as you know. Right. And the chairs on the twenty whatever century that uh, the Enterprise on twenty fourth century Boy. chairs. Had a very low back, like a uh, didn't go yeah. up your spine. So I did it in ten forward because it was easy, and then I must have done it in uh, Picard's ready room for the same reasons. But I had no idea until someone did that compilation that it was a a thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't conscious on your point and in your part. It was just it was easier to sit that way. I think it was a. It was certainly conscious enough to do it, and nobody stopped me. You know, yeah, nobody said right. that looks ridiculous, which it kind of does. <laughs> no, it does not look ridiculous. It looks badass. I think it's awesome. <laughs> I wish I could do it. <laughs> well, it had a certain. Uh, Gene Roddenberry used to tell me that Riker should have. And I love this phrase because I've never heard anybody use it. 
butt jean. Riker should have some daring do, is what he used to say. Nice. <laughs> and I think there was a little cowboy, you know, in that, and it was it had a little getting on the horse kind of vibe. Right. That's hilarious. So I can't, I can't disown it at this point. <laughs> oh no! Own up to it. Love it. It's that's yours. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so we, have you seen uh, have you guys seen Blunt Talk Blunt Talk I have I not I don't think so Patrick's show on stars no I haven't seen it. I've heard about it now that you mention it I have heard about it but I have not seen it yet now that's something you should watch yeah okay. it's so he's, he's never had more fun oh I will add it to the list I mean I've never seen him in something that's not been amazing but uh yeah, I saw him and um, I saw him up in New York when he was doing. Um, he was on Broadway. This is Carol. Um, no, it, it was um, Waiting for Godot with Ian McKellen. Oh, you saw? Did you see the Godot or the? Uh, I saw. Man I saw Godot. Yeah, and it was right. Oh, it was. I, I mean, seeing the two of them together on stage. I mean, they again, it's cliche. They could have read the phone book and it would have been amazing. But to watch them up on stage doing Godot was just mind blowing. Yeah. yeah, very special. Did you get to see them at all? I did. I saw the other one. I saw the Pinter. Okay. Okay. That was actually two years ago this month. Was it I really? Was doing this. Yeah. Man, I'm back that's... in, uh, back to Brooklyn to do this project for this MFA class. And it was this time, two years ago, that I saw him do them do that show. I can't believe that was two was years ago. Brilliant. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. But we digress. We digress. <laughs> so we recently had Gary Witta on the show and we're big fans of Nerdcore and I gotta say our favorite, my favorite episode was the one where you cameoed as yourself on it. <laughs> and was so it... That was another, that was another uh, phone call this time to John Rogers. I said, your friend, Gary Witta, has called me to come and do this thing. What do you think? And Roger said, go it, go, do it. You'll have a blast. Yeah. And, uh, and he was right. Yeah, it's, it, it was, I mean, it was hilarious. Um, I know it's, it's scripted, but they do an amazing job of making it look like it's not. Um, but what came... It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't really scripted. It's not. <laughs> oh, no. That's, uh, that's, I would call that loosely... <laughs> but I mean, it's it seems that you know m- more so than a lot of other actors, certainly. But even more so than the other Trek cast, um, you seem to be a lot. You seem to be a bit more at ease with parody, self-deprecation. You know, playing off off those you know the the characters that you're so well known for, and sort of playing it for laughs a little bit. Where does that come from? Because I know that's. I mean, it takes a sort of a, a leap of faith and a lot of self-confidence to be able to do that. I think that's just my uh, nature. It's just who you are. Yeah, it's if you, God forbid, you should take it too seriously. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, it's it would be nice to see. It, it gets tiring looking at actors who take themselves way too seriously on screen and off. And when they, you know, and there are a few. I'm not saying I don't. I can't recall any that are directly related to, to Trek, but. Um, yeah, it's really refreshing to see somebody like yourself who can sort of, you know, poke fun at yourself and and and, and play along with the joke. So, hats off to you for that. Thank you. Um, 
couple more questions before we let you go. Um, Gargoyles, are you surprised at how much that show is still loved? I thought Gargoyles was, uh, I've said it, uh, too smart for TV. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, there, I wish the show was still on. I loved, loved doing it. Yeah. And he's still talking about, the Weissman's still talking about trying to get it rebooted or do a yeah. movie or... Yeah, we, we, we had Weissman on the show, too, and he said, um, I mean, that's something that he deals with on a daily basis. Fans, you know, they tweeted him every day, pleading with him to bring it back, and you know, it's not up to him. He doesn't own it, um, but I, I know that he would be happy to to be involved with it if it came back. What, would you also be on board if it came back? I would be thrilled. I, I never understood why Disney took it off the air. It yeah. certainly wasn't costing them a lot of money because everybody was working for scale. The writing was spectacular. The yeah. cast was wonderful. What was the deal with it? You know, what he said, uh, Greg, what he said was that um, it never got a toy license. <laughs> and they weren't selling the merchandise. And apparently, oh. apparently, and I didn't really realize this, but when it comes to animated shows, especially animated shows for kids, they live and die by the merchandise deals that they get. And the Gargoyles, as much as it was loved by fans, and even more so now, it never got a toy deal um, that made that was was able to bring them into the black. That's fascinating. It makes perfect sense, but I yeah. have never heard that before. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate too because I remember that there were some gargoyles like action figures, and there were never very many of them. Um, but uh, yeah, I feel like put that show on the air today, and it would kill. That's ironic. The show power that I'm cutting right now, there's a storyline literally about the action figures of the powers characters. <laughs> really? <laughs> and and Will Wheaton plays the head of the toy company. <laughs> the the evil the evil head of the toy company? Exactly. I love it. <laughs> There's a spoiler. There's a spoiler alert. Uh oh. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, do you still play trombone? I do. Not well, but loudly. <laughs> do you perform anywhere or do you just play for yourself? No, I, I, just, uh, I just play with myself. <laughs> <laughs> Not what I was implying. <laughs> I, I, did get, I did just pull out the uh, trombone all Christmas carol okay. book. So, so my son and I will be doing a little... Uh, Little duet work on a couple of Christmas carols. Oh, that'll be awesome. sweet. You, so, you should you should turn those into MP3s and sell them online. <laughs> <laughs> Another good business model. There you go. See, I'm I'm available. You can just hire me. I'll give you. I just come run, with these ideas all day. Just run a Kickstarter for it. You'll be you'll be uh, singing. <laughs> um. You have been married. You mentioned your wife several times. You've been married for a while, 27 years. Almost, almost, we've been together for 30 years. 30 years. That is unheard of in show business, I think. So I, I guess I got to ask, what's the secret? Well, I'll tell you a little story. Okay. I'm married to Jeannie Francis, who's best known as Laura from General Hospital. Yes. And she's been on and off television on that show and others for 35 years, probably, something like that. They're close to 40 years. And um, 
when they were celebrating the 50th anniversary of General Hospital, she went back on the show for a stint and went out to do the uh, publicity circuit. She was on, I believe, the talk or the chew, or she was on the chew with Mario Batali. Okay. The chef. Mm-hmm. the chef is interviewing her and asked her the exact question you just asked me. Yeah. And, with, and without missing a beat, she said, you got to be willing to put up with a few shitty years. And they bleeped out the shitty <laughs> and kept the answer. And I and taped the show for her so she could see it. And my eyes went wide. I said, holy shit. <laughs> you're, telling, you're telling the truth? Now, fast forward about two weeks, and she and I are sitting at uh, our kids' high school waiting for the um, uh, holiday concert to start. And from behind us, women are coming from across the aisle, up the aisle. We're being surrounded by other moms from um, from Viewpoint, where my kids went to school. Mm. And to a, to a woman, they said, Gee, we saw you on that show. We're so glad you told the truth instead of that <laughs> bullshit about compromise and listening and sharing. <laughs> 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 that's awesome so we've all got a few shitty years to look forward to is that what you're telling us there you go <laughs> I say, I I'm, just, I'm just telling you our experience okay fair enough and we're, and we're, we're in a great place we've been together 30 years that's I just ran her line she's got to go to work today too she's an amazing amazing woman mm. That's unbelievable. And it's so, it is, it's so, it's so great to see because especially in, in show business, when everybody's under a microscope and you know, you, it's a career you chose, you didn't choose to have everybody nitpick at your, your, your personal life. So it's, it's nice to see, you know, success. Well, we were never very, we were never a very Hollywood couple. Yeah. Right. Well, and um, the amount the amount of women that came to me when I when I announced that we were interviewing to that were telling me that you were their first crush, you know, <laughs> that's a that's kind of a you know a testament to your your power over women too. <laughs> I think that was more of a Riker thing than a Frank thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. We're gonna we've taken a lot of your time. We're gonna round this out with a real quick. Uh, either or, we're going to give you two choices. You pick which one you would choose, whatever um, whatever criteria you want to use. Does that sound good? Yes, sir. Okay. The librarian movies or the librarian's show? I have a very soft spot for the movies. Okay. However, I'm, I want a third season for the show, a fifth season for the show. Okay. Bearded or beardless Riker? Bearded, hands down, no question. <laughs> I agree. I don't know anybody who would vote for beardless, but we had to ask anyway. Now, do you know that in the uh, alleged urban dictionary... Oh, is the bearded Riker, Riker a thing? No, Riker's beard is defined as... Come on, guys. God, no, you don't, I don't know, know this? this. I don't, I, you know what? What kind of geekery? If you say it, I might know, but I, I may have blocked it from my memory because I'm, I'm a little bit scared right now. Here we go. Riker's beard is defined as, I'm told, the opposite of chopping the shark. Oh, my gosh. In reference, in oh, well, that's fine. Television. That's fine. I, I was worried that's it was going to be some sort of like a sexual reference because that's what Urban Dictionary usually does. <laughs> 
All right. Is this so a G-rated th- show? Um, it's fine. Not really. <laughs> um, Jack Teagarden or J.J. Johnson? Jack Teagarden. Well, great question. Jack Teagarden, though, hands down? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's who I fancied my sound after. Oh, I really? could never play as efficiently as J.J. Johnson, but Jack Teagarden I could swing with a little bit. Excellent. Justin? And okay. Great question. A- NCC1701D or NCC1701E? I plead the fifth. I don't know which one is which. <laughs> <laughs> the D was the one you lived on for seven years. The E is the one you directed. No. Oh. <laughs> I love that I need to tell you that. <laughs> All right. Pleading the fifth on that one. Yeah. Stanley Hazard or Thomas Riker? <laughs> you guys did a little research, huh? We try. We try. Well, Stanley Hazard, spineless Stanley Hazard, yeah. had a bigger effect on my life because it was during North and South that I fell in love with Gene. So I think Stanley has a... And Thomas was left in jail by the non-visitor. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> He kind of got the, the, the shaft there. <laughs> he got the short end of the stick. I used to call Ira Bear and say, dude, I'm on the lot. I can come and do another episode. I'm around. <laughs> Let me out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Justin? Some, I didn't see more. Second. Right. Oh, here we go. Gene Roddenberry or George Lucas? Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. Kind of guessed at that one. That was too easy. Too that was easy. Too easy. That was too All easy. right. Here's, here's your last one. Wesley Crusher, <laughs> hater or apologist? <laughs> and now that I know Will's the one who gave us the good, the, the good, the good name to get you on here, I can't feel bad about asking that. I never quite understood the um, anti-Wesley affection or lack of, because I was so close to him. Yeah, right. And we loved having him, but he's when we do the panels with all the cast that we did for the 25th anniversary tour that we sort of did. Yeah. Whenever Will was with us, the level of understanding, passion, interest, articulation went up. Oh, yeah. Because of, because of Will's company. Yeah. And it, it's, it's incredible because he's beloved now. You know, the, fan, fans love, the fans who hated him back then love him now. So uh, they love is, him, I think, because as he's grown up, he's become he is the I mean, he's the spokesperson, the thing for the yeah. nerd culture. He is, and he's embraced it, and it's such a wonderful, charming, yeah, very, yeah. He's, he's very special. Yeah, it is, and it's great to see uh, uh, you know, a child actor who didn't sort of fall down the well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, here, here, Jonathan. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I hope you get out of that traffic pretty soon. Uh, But uh, this has been phenomenal. Well, that's it for this week's interview with the legendary Jonathan Frakes. And how awesome was that? It was pretty awesome. (laughs) Pretty awesome. When it's just when we when we started this thing, 
you know, he was at the top of my list for if, if we were going to do geek stuff besides Disney, he was one of my number ones that I wanted to talk to. Not to be punny. <laughs> he was my number one. <laughs> ah, I get it. Yeah. By me, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> I've always said to my, uh, my wife, Sarah, that I've always wanted to use make it so number one in a real conversation and have it be legit. Like, I get it, but the person that I say it to doesn't. I can be your, I can be your number one, and clearly I won't get it if you say it. So. You're more. I think you're Picard, though. I think you're Picard. Ah, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Because if you take a look at my head, I think that's what you're talking about. <laughs> and your your knowledge, your. Uh, no, I'm talking about the uh, the the being follically challenged. Okay, okay, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. All right, so. <laughs> so that was a fan. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know what to say. That was a fun interview, and we really like bringing this to you. And it was a great way to kick off the new year. And I'm going to say that just because it's probably going to be January. It's a great way to kick off the new year. And we have a great year in store, Jamie. You're working yes, hard, do. booking people. Yeah, 2016 is going to be. We haven't we haven't hit our anniversary yet. It's going to be in April, I think. Um, but uh, 2016 is going to be pretty great. So stay tuned. And we were talking about how long we're going to do this. And we were like, you know what? I'm having fun. You're having fun. Who cares yeah. if nobody's listening? Got, yeah. As long as we've got, I was going to say, as long as we've got one listener, exactly. then we'll keep doing it. But you know what? As long as people still agree to come on the show, I don't care if we don't have any listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but we do appreciate you. We appreciate you. Yeah. So uh, if you want to get in contact with us, let us know who you want us to reach out to. Um, we're always looking for new people who to interview our realm is basically anything geek at this point. So let us know. We're on Twitter at the GBB podcast. We're on Facebook at the GBB podcast. And you can can even call us. Oh, sorry to interrupt. But yes, you can call (laughs) us. And our phone number is 301-825-5653. There you go. Call us and leave us a message. Let us know who we should interview next. And Jamie will find them. I promise. No, (laughs) I will work. I will do my best. He will work his magic. (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you. Have a great week. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.